This week, we are so blessed to have an amazing guest join us. Dr. Wesley Willis, also known as the Nurse Doc, is going to be speaking so much life into many of us today. Dr. Wesley began his career with an Associates in Applied Science with a major in nursing in 2000. He went on to earn his bachelor's in social work in 2002, and just a year later, he got his master's in social work. He obtained his doctorate in psychology in 2009. He is currently licensed as a registered nurse, clinical social worker, and psychologist in multiple jurisdictions. Dr. Wesley was the 2013 recipient of the New York Black Nurses Nurse of the Year Award. He currently serves on the Board of Directors for American Association of Men in Nursing and Board of Directors for the New York State Society for Clinical Social Workers. In 2010, Dr. Wesley founded RHIO Wellness, Reflective Healing and Inspiring Outcomes that he currently manages to this day. He is the co-founder of Safe Hands, an NGO in Nairobi, Kenya, working to address the mental health and wellness of children and adults throughout Africa. This is definitely an episode that you might want to listen to again and again. Enjoy. You're listening to the Love is Black podcast. With a host of fly. The love is dope. And the conversation's always 100. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Love is Black podcast. I'm Carice. I'm still Harvey. And it turns out we do actually record it that way because in another one, I was a bit confused. But yes, it, it's happened before. I'm Carice and I'm Harvey. That happens, I guess. I mean, I'm in front of you. I can understand, you know, you're a little bit uncomfortable. I know. Why would I be uncomfortable? I'm, I'm kind of awesome. I have a way of affecting your equilibrium. So because you're awesome, I'm uncomfortable? So you're just a little bit off. It's all right. I understand. Okay, so moving on from Harvey's little bout of um, whatever's going on with him mentally right now. actually pretty pertinent that we have a guest today. Uh, we have a wonderful, fantastic mental health therapist with us, Dr. Willis. If you will, can you please introduce yourself to the audience? Yes, thank you both for so much for having me on. Uh, my name is Dr. Wesley Willis. Uh, I'm a licensed psychologist, a licensed clinical social worker, and a registered nurse. So, yeah, I work in the realm of relationship health and wellness and uh, couples therapy. Very nice. He's busy. Very busy. You've got to be busy. How has your business been, you know, post-COVID? Are things up now? Oh, my goodness. Things have always been up, uh, considering like everything that's going on. So post-COVID, COVID, I mean, couples are required to stay at home and work together. So kids are at home uh, on top of the couples already working from home. And, you know, with the instability and the employment and things of that nature, it's been no uh, lack of work. <laughs> Let me say that much. Well, that's good. That's a blessing. So you got to yes. appreciate, I guess, all the little blessings. I guess that's the biggest thing nowadays, right? Every little blessing matters. Right. I, I'm not complaining. I really appreciate it. Oh, yes. So I am very interested to kind of dive into this one little topic. And it's going to seem like it's coming out of left field, but it happens to come up a lot, actually, on this podcast. Uh, Harvey, in previous episodes 
I mean, I guess at least once every episode it comes up. Harvey is very strict, like very much like, you know, if cheating happens in this relationship, that's it. It's over. You don't cheat and tell them about it unless you have the papers and you're ready to sign and like people are moving out because it's a done deal. Like he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to work through it. He doesn't want to even know about it. Like, okay, you, you get the first few few words out, you know, like I cheated and he's like, okay, it's over. Like, crap. So I'm curious to know where you stand with the idea of whether or not overcoming infidelity is truly a healthy thing for couples to do, or is it better sometimes to just call it quits like Mr. Harvey would? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I don't want to start this answer out in a way that a normal therapist would do. I, uh, but it, I will say that I think it varies from couple to couple. I have seen couples walk in with an incredible great deal of strength uh, and love for one another and ability to respect each other after like such an event has happened. Uh, and recognize like, hey, you all should stay together and really work hard through the, the, the trauma and the sometimes grieving of conversations that you didn't have before about needs that didn't get met before you made the decision to cheat or to walk out of the marriage or to uh, have an extramarital affair. And I have those that walk through the door and I'm like, uh, yeah, this has been over years before and you unfortunately found somebody else uh, without having that conversation uh, that it was over. So I think it really it really uh, changes from couple to couple. People come in all the time and they and sometimes I, I treat singles and they're like, well, doc, my deal breaker is that if the other person cheats and I was like, huh? you know what, let's talk about some other things. Like, how did you arrive there? Did you grow up in a family where your dad cheated on your mom or your mom cheated on your dad? Because let's be honest, it's uh, a two-way street. Both uh, sexes uh, cheat and and choose to seek uh, extramarital relationships. Uh, How did you get to such a hard place that you said, this is my deal breaker. I am not willing to work through it. I can't grow through this. My heart would be so broken that I couldn't imagine being on the other side and be healthy and look at my partner the same. So it really just varies. I'll be honest, from a personal standpoint, then I think that when I hear couples work through work through something like that, I have kind of like this, this soft place in my heart. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I was rooting for you all the time, rooting for this love to, to work through and, and, and say, hey, we broke down at year number five and this is what happened. And while I, I know this is really traumatic and this is really hurtful, I'm, I'm gonna fight for you. I'm gonna fight for this. That is awesome. I like that. I like that a lot. I I would be the person also rooting for those couples. Harvey is like, oh, you should have left like (laughs) the second you found out. (laughs) And I appreciate you, um, you know, not trying to make Harvey feel bad about, you know, his whole situation and being so strict about that. Yeah. Um, I don't feel bad. because he didn't make you feel bad. I don't think he could. I oh, kind of okay. had that opinion before I met the man. So, um, I mean, I, listen, I respect what you're saying. It's just, I don't know. I guess I have some deep-rooted, deep-seated issues as to why I would not be willing to give it a shot. I just feel like I did that from the beginning. 
but that's not really so it doesn't matter i'm sure next episode i'll mention it again or carice will mention it again and then we'll talk about your response to it because that's what she wanted i think she wanted to hear you agree with her entirely and like i said harvey i think that again like what I do see is the husbands struggle with it the hardest when the wife has cheated. I find that women and females in, in the relationship when it has been the husband really spend less time uh, working through and processing like what happens. Like, yes, I mean, typically uh, they, you know, our female counterparts struggle with like, well, why would he choose her or why would they choose to be with a woman who looked like this? Aren't I everything? But I think men really like struggle on so many levels. Like, what does this mean? mean to me my masculinity what does this mean to me as a provider all of those different levels they spend so much more time working through i could see that yeah it hits us differently clearly right. exactly when, when a woman that you, i i think and i've always thought my opinions tend to be weird with certain things but i've always felt in terms of relationships in terms of love that it's harder to get a man like in love or to, to, to decide he's going to be with this woman and when he does that, he's all in. So I feel like it's a longer journey for a guy. I think women are raised to be that. They're growing, you know, you're gonna be, I'm gonna have my wedding day, I've got my book, this is what I'm gonna wear, stuff like this. They're almost bred to be married. Mm -hmm. And men, I don't know, we're bred to be caregivers, to take care of our families and such. But I don't know if it's the same, but if you get a man there, like I know for me, I, was, I get no intention of getting married. And then I met her and I'm like, I have to get married. So that's what it was when I decided it was it. But that's, to me, it's a bigger deal. You get a guy there, he's in love, he's locked in. And then that happens. It feels like it, it just, it just feels like it hits different. And that's just an opinion. That might just be me talking about me, but I think that's what it is. But either way, that's an interesting conversation to have on another podcast anytime. <laughs> Cause it's just one of the many opinions that I'm, that I think people are, think are interesting with me. Um, you're clearly so knowledgeable about just relationships and such. Give us a quick little background on how you came to where you are, what you did, schooling, who you dealt with, your specialties and everything, so we can kind of dive in. Thanks. So yeah, I started, uh, so I got my master's at the ripe young age of 22, uh, not really knowing like what I wanted to do, but kind of just having the, the fortunateness of a saying of some of people behind me saying, Hey, you know what? You seem smart. Let's do something. Uh, and in the course of working in my master's, I started seeing a therapist, uh, working on things like father issues that I didn't know exist. Uh, and I was like, wow, I really want to do that. I want to help people grow in that way. And sometimes recognizing their subconscious things that they don't even recognize are going on and like help them grow. Uh, so I got my master's in social work and then I got my doctorate in psychology. Uh, I started out in actual uh, trauma, working with trauma victims, sexual abuse victims, perpetrators, and spent quite a deal of time. So I did my residency working in a, a place uh, where they treat um, uh, perpetrators of sexual violence. So all different levels from level one all the way up to five. Uh, and those are being some of the most heinous 
uh, of crimes uh, of sexual perpetration uh, and also treating children and adults. And so after starting an organization and doing that for several years, I'll be quite honest, I was burnt out. Uh, I didn't have that same passion going every day. I actually found much of the work very laboring. I even found much of it kind of being a jaded and kind of, which was starkly different when I walked in kind of saying, you know what, we all got to some place in our life and, and, and without kind of like, uh, there was never a clean slate for this person, even though they made the wrong choices. Uh, they ended now being on the other side being like, no, I disagree and different stuff like that. Uh, so I went back and did postdoc uh, postdoc training in uh, marital family therapy and got into relationship work and love and couples. And I've always believed, like even with working with individuals uh, who were trauma victims and individual who perpetrators that they're, the core of this is a relationship. What happened in that relationship? How are you gathering that relationship? How are you negotiating relationships? And unfortunately, yes, some of those perpetrators were negotiating relationships with minors, which is really hard to hear, but it was a relationship nonetheless. So I know I've always felt that none of us are doing this alone. It's all about the relationship, whether it be the relationship with your parent, the relationship with yourself, or your relationship uh, with women, or your relationship with with men. We are none of us are sitting and doing this in isolation. Uh, so I've been doing uh, the relationship work for the last six years. It's been really, truly amazing. Like I said, I've seen couples really, really, really uh, <laughs> kind of go all the way through. And I'll be transparent. Um, I was married. I had a first marriage while I was a trauma therapist. And, and I think a bit of that too played a great toll on the work, uh, played a great toll on in my relationship because I was really invested uh, in that without recognizing like, hey, my spouse needs me. So I had nothing left to give when I came home. Uh, and so this has really, really made it uh, kind of like a soft place in my heart. And I definitely see myself doing this work until the day that I die. That is awesome. That is it's, it's a big change, I guess, because <laughs> there's so much in trauma. I mean, just hearing you talk about it is a lot. It's like heavy already to think about people negotiating relationships with minors and ugh all sorts of things like that. So that's heavy. So it, yes, I think it's, it's amazing the work that you do now. And, you know, woo. Yeah, thank you. What a story. <laughs> um, I, I do think that there is a general stigma within the black community about um, seeking therapy. And uh, I don't know where it really stems from. I don't know if you have a theory on where it stems from or, or why it's so but i think that's a, a good question to ask if yeah. if yeah. there's a reason why there's such a stigma in the black community around therapy yeah it's definitely a fair question to ask uh i was just having the conversation in a group of professionals the other day about kind of like why african americans and people of color uh struggle with 
interventions and help in this way. The the truth is the the medical community, the science community just hasn't been nice to us as people of color. Uh, You think about things like the Tuskegee experiment and you think about Henrietta Lacks where her uh, cells were used to help fight cancer without even her knowledge or consent uh, to the point where she even, I mean, I'm not sure if you all saw it, uh, where John Hopkins and, I mean, it, it eventually led to her death because they were harvesting her cells. And those are just documented. So just think about all of these undocumented cases where this these institutions just have not been places that have been honest, that have been open. And so people of color, like, "Eh, you know, my grandma told me don't go there. Uh, Or like my granddaddy told me that, that they, you know, that they did this. So, or gave him a shot and he have, has absolutely no idea what happened, but he know he's knows he feels worse uh, afterwards. And so I think when you have kind of like one those legacies of stories like from families, and you just have that documentation, then you have a group of people who are like, yeah, you're you're not here for me. This place isn't positioned uh, to take care of me, in that it is difficult to trust. Uh, I think that the other part of that is when you look at kind of like uh, the literature they always well not they always say but for the last several years we've known individuals who have practitioners who look like them who talk like them sitting across from the table delivering this information they fare better but a third of mental health practitioners don't look like uh, they look like me and you. So two thirds actually are the other, <laughs> you know, so while you're going in and you are uh, you're having conversations about kind of like, say, for instance, family values and, and how you were raised and now you're having to explain all of that for several sessions to someone who you don't feel connects with the information, uh, you you kind of say, well, yeah, I, I think I think I'm good. Uh, I think the other part of that is too, we still have that historical stuff uh, where we believe in the idea of black church and black community. Uh, and the black church has, I mean, I grew up in the South and Southern Baptists and apostolic family where, you know, my mother had an MSW, but the idea was you talk to the pastor. The idea was that, you know, the church was kind of like where you take, uh, where you take those problems and you talk to God about it. Not that you talk to another human being, uh, because again, quote unquote, they're just as flawed as you are. They're just a man or they're just a woman that wasn't really kind of explicitly said. So yeah, we still struggle with that. So since it's such a struggle, for, um, you know, just our community to, you know, even consider getting therapy. When you do get either a man or just a woman or a couple to come to you, is there like a breaking, is there like a session? Do you need to break that wall? Do you, do they come in with questions or are they skittish to begin with? I mean, I'm sure you deal with black and white couples and such. Do you get a different feeling? Maybe the first time you see a black couple versus a white couple, do you have to soften them up, listen, you know, I look like you, but I know this isn't something you typically do. What's the difference between different couples for you with your experience? Yeah, and it's really unfortunate. I was I was just treating, uh, and I mean, I haven't had it in quite some time. I think that, again, with the 
with the like uptick in terms of individuals being open to virtual therapists uh, and knowing how to go to different outlets to find a therapist who looks like them or a practitioner who looks like them. I've been getting such a great uh, influx of, of African-Americans and couples of color. But just this past weekend, I haven't had it in quite some time, a couple who doesn't look like me. And the wife was very open and say, oh, wow, you're very smart. Uh, and she was like, I want to book the next session because I feel like you get us. And I was like <laughs> thinking in my head, like, wow, like <laughs> that still exists. I mean, you, you know, that, <laughs> that's so, oh my God. <laughs> you know, um, I've been it's doing so this. ingrained. It's so ingrained in people that they, she probably thought she was complimenting you. It's, exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it's and interesting to so well. It's I've like been doing this for 17 years. Like, <laughs> you know, I didn't start this yesterday. Um, so yeah, it was it was really it was it was sobering, and it was kind of like uh, it, it it took me for a moment to say, you know, like, okay, Wesley, this really isn't about you. She has not had the experience of having like great practitioners who look like me, and so yes, I break that kind of quote unquote unfortunate stereotype that they have nowadays, even still today, despite despite the several hundred letters that I have after my name, uh, it, it was sad. But yes, I do have uh, I do have couples. I do have, you know, African-American folks who come in and they're like, you know what, Doc, I've had like two therapists and I felt like they didn't understand my experience. I felt like I spent much of the time explaining what black tax is or what the uh, the the message that was given to me that you know we have to work two times as hard to get half as much as they do, and and that that being kind of like in un, in some ways a bit dismissed, be like so well why do you feel that way? Uh, whereas me is saying you know what I get it, <laughs> I know what I, what that means when you walk in and you're like one of twenty five or one of thirty people who don't look like you, you know, and know that that plays a significant part on your psyche. Uh, and yeah, so yeah, I get it. Yeah. And that's so very real, that whole working twice as hard to get half as much. Oh, my gosh. I, I struggle with that all the time. You know, it's worse than being a... <laughs> I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, it's worse than being a Black man, being yeah. Black and a woman. Yes, we, yes. <laughs> that's a struggle. Yes. That was real. <laughs> but let me not. Let me not go there. <laughs> go ahead, Harvey. <laughs> So since you deal with a lot of, I mean, Black couples, obviously all the time, but we are in a real kind of, the times that we're in right now are interesting. So obviously with so much that's going on, I guess, with civil rights and, and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all that. And we, pre, before we talked, you know, we're doing this, we had talked about intimacy in the Black community. And mm -hmm. obviously all that's going on in the world right now, it can't help but have an effect on the black relationship, you know, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. What have you found that's, you know, that's come about recently in the last year or so that maybe you hadn't seen before that can be directly, you know, can be connected to what's been going on in the world, or at least in the United States. Mm. 
Right. And, and I'm glad that, you know, that there was this segue into that about the conversation. What's worse than being a black man is being <laughs> a black woman in America. Uh, because what has happened is I think that it's polarized us as black men and as black women to when you think about things like George Floyd and you think about the case of Breonna Taylor and they're like, it, 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 I've I've been a part of conversations with black therapists, black female therapists, and like black women are being, we're being left out of the conversation and we're not being made a significant part of this. And we're equally as, and yes, that is so very true. But I think what it, while that is evident, it has created arguments and it's created uh, a split in our black families because again when you have that stressor or that idea whether it be subconscious or conscious going on uh, you have that relationship changed so I've noticed that like African-American black men have even found the stress of being kind of in this time of seeing like black men being brutalized and murdered in the streets and that affects like the level of intimacy uh, it, it it affects the level of kind of like safety and you can't go home or you can't be normal or be okay with seeing these and still be intimate with your partner. So again, I think that I was having this conversation with a sex therapist. I'm not a sex therapist. And he has seen in his practice too, that the number of uh, men that are reporting like erectile dysfunction and sexual disinterest has really gone up uh, among his African-American male patients. And, and I think that is really, I think it speaks to the time that we're, that we're in. Uh, and, that, and that's just kind of like how I feel about like the whole Black Lives Matter. It's definitely very evident, definitely very needed, but it's playing out in our families and we're not uh, and we're not either uh, consciously uh, aware of it or we don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, it's definitely creating an impact. I, I don't know if you have anything off the top of, of your mind, but are there any techniques or, or tricks or, or things that, you know, tips, I guess is the word I'm looking for, are there any tips that, that you would recommend for people who do feel like very weighed down by all of this emotionally, given all that's going on? Right. So as a, as a cognitive behavioral therapist, one of the biggest things that I work with my uh, families on and my couples on is communication. So I think about kind of like the things that come up is when you hear your partner say something, say, say, you know what, what I heard you say. So like, say, for instance, in this particular say Harvey says, what I heard is you, you devalued like how, how hard my struggle is and give you the, the opportunity to come back and say, that's not what I meant. I was joking. <laughs> you know, this meant this meant absolutely nothing from that. I really value how hard you are and I respect that and I'm here for that and I celebrate that. And, and so I think that some of the times the problems that we have is this mind reading or we think that we know what the person said or meant was this versus what uh, versus what actually happened. And when we start doing that, we start having these layers of resentment or we start telling ourselves, oh, she doesn't, she doesn't respect me or he doesn't respect me. Uh, and so we tell ourselves these stories that really aren't real. 
without giving the person the opportunity to either say, yeah, that was my intention <laughs> or that wasn't my intention. So giving, the, so the communication really, 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 I think now more so than ever has to just really just be very even fundamental, just very elementary uh, and just say, you know what? You screamed at me, <laughs> you know, you know, and my, and, and did you, were you upset or versus kind of like say, you know, uh, just my reading fortune telling is one of the big things that uh, I work with my couples about nowadays that I feel like is even more so uh, problematic where the idea, well, if I say this to her, she won't be able to deal with it or she'll be mad with it. Well, say it to her, give her the opportunity or say it to him, give him him the opportunity versus walking around now you've been keeping the secret and now when they find out it's going to be even 10 times more difficult of a conversation to have so i think that really keeping our conversations with our partners with our spouses very elementary and just say you know what I, you know, this is what you did today. And I just want to know, it was that, it was that your intention? I think kindness uh, is one of the most important part of that for us during this time. And being compassionate is one of the most important, time, important things for us to be during this time. That makes sense. I mean, I like a lot of what you said, uh, just to kind of throw in a little bit of, of our story recently. Um, I, I did something <laughs> that I did, I guess, just impulsively, and I did not want to be talked out of it. And I knew that he would talk me out of it. And so I just, I just did it. I started up a nonprofit. I'll just say that it wasn't anything crazy. I started up a nonprofit company. And, um, so clearly I invested a lot of money in that, but, uh, I didn't tell Harvey until, you know, a while after, like once I'm about to have like the first meeting with my potential board for this nonprofit. <laughs> and so that turned into like, you know, a lot of stuff because I just didn't want, I don't know. So the longer I held that in, it turned into when he finally, when I finally told him, it was like, like complete disrespect. Like, can't believe you did that. But that wasn't my intention. Like we had to break down that conversation mm -hmm. almost in that same way. I mean, it wasn't as nice the first time, but the, by the second or third time we got to that conversation, it was very, <laughs> very yeah. communicative. Right. We were yeah. able to really like break that down. But yeah. I like that though. I think that it's, Agreed. it's a good way to communicate, to break it down to like the, the real bare basic, you know? Right. And it's, I think it's all based on it. Well, not just it's based on, but it is the, uh, based on the, the experiences that we've had from our past, whether, whether, you know, that ideal from like a parents who said, oh, you're a good boy, you're a bad girl, or you're, this is good, or this is bad. And so you seek to avoid kind of punishment. You seek to avoid pain. Uh, when in the, when in the other, uh, on the other side of it, the person would be like, I'm your biggest cheerleader. Why would you hide this from me? Like, why wouldn't you even, even when this was an idea in your mind, like, when have I ever not supported? And you're like, you know, why did I make this whole story up to myself that you would be upset and say no? <laughs> like, you were literally in the room, know, whatever right? thing you just said, because I, <laughs> that was his whole response. That's been, that was my response to her, is that from the beginning, I feel like this has been a this has been a really good relationship we've nurtured each other and i think she started 
not even want to go to going wanted to go to dental go to school at all. But then she, I know she needed to go and finish. So she went to that dental hygiene school. She finished. She's done that, and she's been on this upward tick ever since. And I've been like supporting. She she is one of these people, and kind of has a drive that I wish I had. When she decides she wants to do something, she's just gonna do it, whether or not she was married to me. It was gonna happen. I just happened to be in the area. I was in I was in the crowd, and I and I realized that pretty early. So instead of being a deterrent. I've decided I'm going to be a supporter. I've, I haven't always been happy with the choices she's made. But once she's done it, I back her. So that, and that, that's literally what that was. Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. You know what I would have said. I would have been like, you sure you want to do this? This is probably not the good idea. But if you're going to do it, I got you. Mm-hmm. That's how I think I handle all her situations. So it was pretty surprising, a little disappointing, actually that that's the way she felt to handle it. Like, come at me. I'm like, really, you gonna do this? This is what you wanna do? Okay, let's do this. And then I'm like, all right, let's go. And these are just kind of the ups and downs of a relationship. This is kind of how we learn about each other and what we do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, I feel like I had another question. Um, whenever we have somebody on the show, being a man, I always have a particular you know, opinion about things. Give me an idea of, is there a difference on how you help serve, cure a man versus a woman or a black man versus a black woman? Is there a different way that you come to them? Uh, I think that, you know, it's just as a, so just kind of speaking from a practitioner standpoint, I treat all my patients the same. That's the best way to say that, right? Okay. Uh, (laughs) But then I think the other part of that is just to me to be just completely transparent, like as a person, even walking into work with my patients is I'm very honest with like black men, like uh, that even though we have had different experiences, a lot of our experiences are going to look so much alike. Um, And just saying like, hey, you know, while sometimes I, as your therapist, may really sound like I align with you, I'm still going to challenge you mentally. And while at the same time, I think I do with like my African-American females is say, I don't know what it is like to grow up as you to be these have be these regular stories told to you about what a black woman should be or like how that is, how tough that is and hard that is being a black woman. Uh, So from the therapist standpoint, I would say I treat all my patients the same. But on the personal, like being reflective and honest, I will be just like a hundred percent open and honest every black man who walks through my door i'm like brother like you know let's sit down let's let's tackle some of these really irrational thoughts and challenges that we have worked through from our legacies and our family experiences about what black masculinity is and what toxic masculinity is and how that continuously plays out for us and how are we going to overcome that you know so that's just a very different experience you know uh from being an african-american black woman patient walking through my door and not that i feel like i think i help either one of them grow um more so than the other is just i'm just just very transparent about it That's fair. Yeah. That's good. I like the, I appreciate the honesty there. 
so while we were going through uh, some of your stuff and you know doing our research, we research everybody. We came across this term of lifestyle medicine. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate more on that? What is lifestyle medicine? How do you, you know, incorporate that into working with your clientele? I would love to. So, uh, so I started out uh, professionally as a nurse and went into social work, not really understanding like why. Yes, I do. My uh, mother is a social worker. My dad is an LPN. So kind of like bridging (laughs) those two things together. uh, I knew I kind of wanted to, I I respected the work that they do and the passion they felt for that work. Uh, And then kind of like over time, just recognizing like, hey, I'm not such a good nurse. Uh, (laughs) But one thing I do well is listen to my patients. The one thing that I do well is like even before they uh, had these conversations about pulling up a chair and talking to your patient as a nurse, I was already doing that. I was already in the room for my patients who come through the door. So tell me, hey, what's going on? And pulling on a chair, uh, pulling up a chair and writing down their story versus having my computer uh, as I talked to my patients. So I recognized there was like all this great information that guided my knowledge and how I kind of like prepared the team. Uh, and so like one day I was working with this psychiatrist and he was like, you know, you were a lifestyle medicine practitioner. And I was like, explain that to me. <laughs> uh, and he's like, you don't prescribe medicine, but you are prescribing ways of life as you utilizing your experience as a registered nurse uh, in educating your patients, but at the same time, utilizing like your experience of how people's thought patterns and how people's behaviors affect the choices that make they make. So like, say, for instance, in our community, things like diabetes, hypertension, uh, or high blood pressure, or renal disease, uh, we have, we are so disproportionately more affected by kidney disorders and, and things of that nature. Uh, and actually helping people identify with things that help them work through. Like, say, for instance, as African-Americans, as my, my own family of origin, we like to eat. <laughs> and it's not a party unless food is involved. <laughs> and it's not good food. And it's not just like the healthy food. It's food that you love, like barbecue, like pinto beans that are or beans that are full of sugar and syrup and all of those things. And this is being prepared by your already diabetic grandmother. <laughs> so she can do it. Obviously, I can do it. Uh, and, and and so trying to help people work through those already fun times, these fun memories about food and and about like, well, they had the most, the best times with their family with food. And it, while unfortunately it was unhealthy food, it was times that they'd connect with. It was things that they've connected with and now trying to help them build better lifestyles and helping them kind of say, hey, you know what? I can reimagine life and I can be happy versus I'll be honest. I mean, I m- myself, when I, before I uh, started going through this, would sit down with a salad and be depressed, quite depressed. 
quite sad <laughs> that I'm eating rabbit food. You know, oh my God. <laughs> you know because and, and then you put like a big piece or you put like barbecue in front of me and I like become alive, you know. But so why do we make those connections? Why did I make those connections? So again, helping patients work cognitively through those things like the, the like again, the mind reading we talked about, like this is so sad that this has to be my life. But why? What makes it so sad? And what's the emotion behind it? Well, I feel like I should be better. I feel like I should, like this has taken control of my life. Well, you know what? Not everybody, whether, you know, not everybody has such a good handle on that. And look at the stories, the things that happened. This is how you got here. Let's start attaching happier, healthier memories with you changing your behavior. That's really good. That's when you said that, I mean, obviously the movie Soul Food just popped in my head when you were talking about that. <laughs> yes. Big Mama just serving them their death. It's like, you know, <laughs> like lovingly murdering them on their face. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, wow, that's that's so true. That's so true. Something else that came up that popped in my head, and it's kind of off the point, and I'll try not to go too far, is with we originally earlier we talked about how the medical field is it's, it's not something the medical community has been very comfortable with we're not really fond of but i'm haitian and the vast majority of the women in my family are in the medical field i find that dichotomy seems so interesting that we don't trust doctors whatever but we're all nurses is that just because it was an easy business to get into coming to the country get a job go to nursing school whatever is there more to it I, what do you, I mean, not, just off the, what, do you, what do you get? <laughs> I think it's not an easy, I think it's tough, actually. But I think oh, yeah. that the okay. message that happens is, oh, go, oh, oh, doctor, go and get the job in medicine. It's good pay. <laughs> it's, so these are ways that we take care of our family. Let's be honest. When I told my uh, family, oh, I'm going to go major in music. And my aunt was like, what the hell are you going to do with that? <laughs> like, how are you going to feed yourself? Do you know how many people are homeless in the streets? And I was like, well, that's what I love. That's what I want to do. And she's like, I don't care what that's what you love. You got to go be a nurse. <laughs> and that's what we, that's the message that happens. And I think even more so Caribbean families is no, you get a job to help take care of your family. And, <laughs> and that's it. It, it versus kind of like the whole other part. So yes, I remember working actually in a hospital, my very first hospital, in New York City, where they were a number of black nurses, but I was actually only one of two African American nurses in the whole entire hospital. Everybody else was Jamaican, Haitian, West Indian, Guyanese, because they recognized the, uh, the, the just the reality is that it's a great profession. Like it, you will be able to provide for your family. Uh, you will be able to also at the same time, I think, that it speaks to, again, uh, kind of like the people of color mentality that is that women are caregivers. So now they wasn't having these conversations with their Haitian sons. You know, they was having this conversation with their Haitian daughters, or they were having this conversation with their Jamaican daughters. Now you, the, that's, I've always found that very interesting is like, ask a Jamaican mother to talk to her son about becoming a nurse. Oh, no, 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 no. 
no, 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 no. He needs to become a doctor. He needs to become a lawyer. Mm -hmm. But definitely they have those conversations with their with their daughters. And I think that one is because of just the nature of being a caregiver. And I think it's just a part of the part of being kind of like you get to work three days a week. You get to take care of your provide for your family, blah, 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 and be there for your husband. So. So, yeah, I think that that's what it is. I think it's a very tough profession to get into. Uh, but I think that is that is just kind of like about kind of like how they attach like gender and everything. Yeah, I don't want it to sound like I was saying it was simple. My mom is a is a midwife. She's a, before right. that, she was a labor and delivery nurse. My mom worked on crazy nurse schedules. I respect infinitely <laughs> what everyone in the medical field does. So I wasn't saying, oh, it's simple, anybody can do it. It just seemed like everybody got pushed in that direction. Came out, you know what? I mean, they didn't say go be a secretary or go clean houses. They said, go and be, you know, go be a nurse and do something. And just a lot of them, as I'm thinking about my aunts, most of them are either nurses or in some form of social work. And it never really occurred to me, the whole caregiver thing. And that's really what it is. Moms, that's what we do. Women in general, I guess, are Mother Earth, and they just take care of us. Right. That's just what they do. So by their very nature, being a nurse seems like the natural thing to go to do. Right. So I never really, I never looked at it that way. And that makes complete sense. Okay. But nurses rock. Midwives are awesome. I didn't want to just be like, oh, it's easy. Everybody could do it. No, I couldn't do that. I'm not trying to see all that blood. So wow. I'm not that dude. So special. <laughs> so special. Okay. Well, just to round things out, Dr. Willis, can you let us know if there's anything that you have going on? Like, where can we keep up with you? Where can our listeners, you know, connect with you? Yes. So uh, I have a, I feel like I always have a lot going on. Uh, so I actually have a YouTube channel and have about like uh, about 10,000, built a, 10, a community of 10,000. Uh, so uh, my YouTube channel is called The Nurse Doc. A lot of the information is centered around mental health and wellness. Given everything that's going on, sometimes some people are like, well, how does that kind of tie into like the last several episodes of your show being around like uh, Black Lives Matter and movement? Uh, it, but it's, it's literally information, I feel like, that connects our community, that's affecting our community. And that's not just being people of color. That's just being individuals who recognize right is right and wrong is wrong. Uh, <laughs> you know, and so uh, so that's the work that I've been enjoying doing. I've uh, so, yeah, uh, YouTube uh, at the Nurse Doc. Uh, all of my handles are the same, whether it be Instagram and Facebook, because I think that it's just so important to really just kind of stay focused uh, on maintaining healthy relationships. And it's not just like the little relationships uh, in terms of like with mom and dad, but with everyone, our own relationship with myself, my relationship with food. We have all of these things that people don't really recognize are so like multi-layered and they really have to just be investigated. And when the conversation starts happening, they're like, huh, I never really realized that. Uh, so yeah, so I do a podcast just like you guys. Again, the nurse doc, uh, it's not as fun as yours. <laughs> it's definitely not as fun and as interactive, uh, as yours, but Hey, you know, I'm putting the information out there. Like I think that all of us as creators uh, of color are doing. And so, yeah, keep up the great work. 
excellent. No, you keep up the great work. This was, this was great. It was nice to hear. We've been lucky lately. We've had people and we've been able to talk about these things, issues that never were really part of the community, just, you know, our mental health. And especially now, it's hard to be optimistic, to be positive, to feel good about life, especially when you parents, because it's hard enough for adults and we're taking care of kids. But at least I know for me, looking into what's the world going to be like in 20 years, what's my son going to have to deal with in 20 years? What are my daughters going to have to deal with in 20 years? Just walking the streets, getting a job, just living. So it's hard to at least to feel good. I'm not a religious person at all. So it's, it's me. I just, I, I sometimes don't get the feeling that you know, things are going to be good, but it's nice to hear from you to kind of feel like, you know, life is going to be okay. It's, it could be tough, but we'll maintain it. And if we take care of ourselves, we can take everybody else around us. So right. it was great to speak to you. It was very therapeutic, I would say. Yes. It was fantastic. I really enjoyed having you on. We got to get, so all the listeners can get all of your information from the show notes. We'll definitely make sure that we, we keep up with you at the nurse doc. Um, I think that this has been such a fantastic episode. I've had so much fun. Have you? Have I you? did. I did I'm, have fun. I'm glad you did. And he didn't hurt your feelings. <laughs> I know. You know? I had, I had tissues just in case. Yeah. In case he said something <laughs> tough and I was not going to even handle it wipe a tear or two, you know, move on. But I'm okay. That's a whole nother episode. Harvey doesn't cry. It's a whole nother. Hey, Dr. Willis, before we wrap up, is that normal? Is that normal? Harvey does not cry. He needs a session with me. And- wow. <laughs> See? Yeah. I knew, I knew something was wrong. <laughs> Thank you again. Thank you so, so much again. All right, Harvey. I think we have definitely come to the consensus that love is therapeutic. Love is many things. But this good love is Black. Thanks for listening to the Love is Black podcast. Please help support the podcast by subscribing and leaving a review. And connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Love is Black Podcast. See you next week.